What's up my self-improvers? It is Brian Ford with Self-Improvement Daily. Take ownership of your personal development one tip at a time. If you want to learn new ways to generate positive results in your life, then you're in the right place because today we have a self-improvement sit-down. Instead of the short two-minute actionable tips I provide every weekday, Our self-improvement sit-downs provide an amazing opportunity to learn really fundamental concepts in detail with an industry leader. If you want to be a part of a community that's committed to pursuing your potential every day, then subscribe to this podcast to make you and your growth a priority. And today's episode is your next big step. The knowledge shared by our guest today is next level. This is self-improvement sit-down number 34 with Jim Fortin. And we are live. Today's guest is going to blow your mind. And what I mean by that is he's going to change the way that you think forever. His name is Jim Fortin. And Jim is a leader in subconscious transformation, coaching some of the most well-known people in the world to attract and create the life and success they desire. Jim is an expert in sales psychology. He's an NLP master practitioner. And he pulls from ancient wisdom by way of his years training under his brother-in-law and mentor, who is a shaman. Let's do it, Jim. Thank you in advance for sharing your wisdom with us today. Well, given that introduction, I hope I do blow some minds. Otherwise, they're going to be like, what? Well, that is a guarantee because I know exactly what you're about and you're about to blow their mind. I'm so excited. (laughs) So something you mention a lot on your podcast, Mm -hmm. which I highly suggest everyone checks out, it's the Jim Fortin podcast, is creating change from the inside out. In fact, that's kind of the tagline of it. And the furthest inside that we can go is our subconscious. You know, it's so inside that we're not even aware of it. So could you quickly touch on kind of what is the role of the subconscious mind and how is it existing in our daily lives? Sure. Well, let me ask you this. Um, Brian, did you smoke any cigarettes today? I did not. How come? I don't smoke. Oh, you're a non-smoker, right? Correct. Okay. So because you're a non-smoker, you did not smoke a cigarette. Fair enough. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. And that's a simple analogy that that I give a lot of people is that I dispel the model of you've got to work until your eyeballs bleed. You've got to go out there and work and struggle and hustle and all this kind of stuff that people espouse and they put out there. And then people listen to them. We've all been conditioned in society to work hard. And the reality is people go out there and they work and they struggle and they work all day long, but yet they're still broke. Now back to the analogy of the cigarette. You didn't smoke. Because you're a non-smoker in your identity, which is held in your subconscious mind, you see yourself, your self-image as a non-smoker. Therefore, you do not do the behavior. Now, most people, they go to self-development programs, they go because they're wanting some kind of outcome. And they're going to go to this person or that person or whatever, their live events, whatever. And they're all trying to change their behavior, never fully recognizing that the behavior is driven by the subconscious mind and we can only do what we are. So if you want to be wealthy, you must first be wealthy in your subconscious identity or your paradigms. Now, what I just said is you can only do what you are. Now, you could probably smoke a cigarette right now if I gave you one, and you'd probably hack a lung up trying to do it. I mean, it tastes terrible, it's horrible, <laughs> and it's hard to do, right? Yeah, I've never smoked in my life, so you're, you're talking to the right guy. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, it'd be hard because you are a non-smoker. So let's go here first is, and there's all kind of research on this and all kind of postulates and theories, whether it be Freud or Jung or infinite wisdom or ancient wisdom and the collective consciousness and 
and all these kind of things. But the reality is there's something that's non-material, non-physical driving you, which is your subconscious mind. That's the part of the mind where 95% of all of your function is held uh, let me get, and, and brain-based as well. But let me give you an example. Have you ever driven a car before? Yes, every day. Okay. By the way, where do you live? I'm in San Diego. Okay. Beautiful, sunny San Diego. So you ever come up to a stoplight before and stopped? Yeah, I do most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let me ask you this. When it goes from green to yellow to red, do you ever say, hmm, it just changed? Why did it change and what does it mean and what do I do? Or are you just chatting away with your friend and not even, not even paying attention and you stop automatically? Yeah, I don't think twice. It just happens. It happens. Actually, it happens non-consciously under the level of consciousness. It happens subconsciously. And the reason I give you that illustration is that you, me, all of us, we work on subconscious autopilot. And all these things we want to create in the world, whether it be wealth or health or money or bodies, are all predetermined by the subconscious paradigms that we hold. And when we want to create something in our external environment, whether whether it be the house or the car or, or the whatever it is, we must first be that subconsciously. Mm-hmm. I mean, first, it's kind of that awareness of the subconscious. And we know what traditionally do people think of it versus what does it do? And there's kind of a misnomer there a little bit. People don't realize how influential it is. People are like, oh, yeah, it's the, the brainstem, the rest and digest, you know, kind of some of these baseline processes that keep you alive. And I don't wait, think wait, wait, wait. Rec- I'm gonna I don't mean I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm going to interrupt. No, that's not correct, because you're educated to, on this to some degree. You're talking about brainstem, reptilian brain, and et cetera. 99% of the population, if I said, what is and where does your subconscious mind reside? They would have, this is what you would hear. You ready? You would hear this. Crickets. You hear nothing. <laughs> because we all know, we've all heard, okay, your subconscious mind, we've heard that since kids, but very few people recognize that every single thing that they do, and every one of you listening right now, whether you smoked or you didn't smoke, or you brushed your teeth or you didn't, or you ate breakfast or you didn't, or you're a millionaire or you're not, every bit of that is decided by the subconscious mind, but people don't recognize that. They think that what they create in life is a reflection of what they do, not even recognizing what they do is first predetermined by who they are and their subconscious identity. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's exactly it. That's exactly where I wanted to go. You knew it. And and I think that's the opportunity here, which is everything you do is run by your subconscious. So those things that you're doing that are maladaptive or incorrect, where does that reside? You know, and when it comes to creating change or transformation, you've got to kind of point at a specific thing and you're like, all right, this is where I'm going to start. And then the ripples are going to kind of shoot out from here. And and that's kind of, you know, an opportunity is now that we're aware that if the subconscious is is calling the shots here, then how do we interact with the subconscious? And, and I mean, I'm going to kind of put you back there, right? Because okay. um, most of us start and kind of one of your philosophies is, you know, identity is kind of that base of the subconscious. Then that grows into your belief system, which then feeds your capabilities. Your capabilities provide your behaviors and then your behavior creates your environment. And a lot of people mm-hmm. start at the area of their behavior, which is logical, but that's not the subconscious. So can you talk to us about that dissonance there? And why when people start at the behavior level, they fail. But if they start at the identity level, it, it performs well. What, what Brian just mentioned is, is called a logical level. It was created by Gregory Bateson, a social psychologist back in the late 1950s. Basically, what he, he postulated, and, and, and it works. The, the strategy works. 
is that we human beings are like an onion. We work from the outside. We work, most of us work from the outside in, but we as humans work from the inside out. Now, well, here's where we go. We go from the environment, which is your physical world around you, to your behavior, what you do to affect your physical world, to capabilities and skills, a little lower, a little deeper in the onion. Then we go to uh, beliefs and identity. And this is Gregory Bateson's logical level. When most people want to create change, like working out, they say, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to work out. And they start, they start trying to change their behavior to get an outcome. This is universally what people do. And this is what motivational speakers tell people to do. You got to do this. You got to do that. All these kind of things. What no one ever stops to think about is, okay, if I'm going to go work out, I'm going to set my New Year's resolution where 92% of people fall off track in three weeks. <laughs> if I'm going to go work out January the 1st, what's never considered at the identity level is, am I a person that actually can follow through on commitments? Mm. Do I have, what are my beliefs about commitments? What are my beliefs about self-integrity? These things even precede the desire to do the behavior to work out. We must always start at the level of identity if we want to create any sustainable long-term change in our life. Yeah, I mean, that makes so much sense. And it, I mean, it comes back to kind of willpower even, right? Like if you try and get yourself to do something over and over and over again, that's just at the behavior level. But you're always going to be fighting against resistance if you don't go earlier back kind of deeper in the onion because that's what's informing what behavior is kind of at least the default setting, right? That just, it makes it so much easier to execute when you have the identity and beliefs that back up the behavior that you want. That is correct. Yeah, let's say for example here that you're swimming out in San Diego, you're swimming in the ocean and you've got these really 10 pound, which is really heavy for swimming. You got these, I don't know if you can wear those and swim. Somebody might be able to, but you've got these 10 pound leg weights on and you're like, this is really hard, but I'm going to use my willpower. I'm going to do it. I'm going to swim across from here to there. I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That's all left brain willpower. It's all left brain analytical thought. Whereas you have the ankle weights slowing you down and drowning you. Well, people can say all day long, they want to change things and they're going to use your willpower, which doesn't work and is also in limited supply. And it's brain based like a battery on a cell phone. The more you use the cell phone, the more the battery goes down. The more you try to use your willpower, the less willpower you have. Back to the smoking metaphor that I gave you earlier, same thing, is if you are a non-smoker, it's easy for you not to smoke. Mm -hmm. If you are a smoker, it is easy to smoke. That's why I'm not sure if I said it, but I often do. It's easy to do what you are. And it's hard to do what you are not. Mm -hmm. Now, let's take this to a real world tangible environment. Many people are aspiring to money. 78% of the American population lives paycheck to paycheck. But here's the thing. People try to do things to become wealthy, but in their unconscious identity or subconscious identity, they're broke because they grew up poor. Mm -hmm. So no matter, no matter what they do, it's like snapping a rubber band. They're pulled back into uh, counterproductive and self-destructive habits or not earning why? Because they're poor in their mind at a subconscious level. Mm. Yeah. And there's a distinction that you've made, or at least I've heard you make before, which is it's not about mindset. It's about brain set, right? And it's almost like a thermostat. Yes. You kind of set the expectations, no matter what happens in your external environment, you go to your behavior, your environment, like those kind of more external facing things. It always kind of gravitates toward the norm, which is that thermostat you set 
which is set by your identity and beliefs. So that's why people kind of get in this cycle, right? Is they they end up regressing oh to the mean, which is the the standard they set for themselves. You know, you're you are your own limiting factor, essentially, which is uh, it, it's just it's such an opportunity. It's so exciting once you're aware of it, but it's also so hard to kind of uproot that. And actually, let's move into it. Well, so before we go, before we go there, you admit which you I, you've definitely listened to the podcast. <laughs> I can tell. A few times. Everyone listening, he had mentioned what I call, and it's just my spin on it, called the brain set. We all talk about mindset. Mindset is all left brain analytical. I'm not going to have sugar. I'm not going to have carbs. I'm not going to have Diet Coke, which, by the way, is speaking in negatives. But mindset is I got to shift and I got to do this and I got to get more commission and I have to do all these kind of things. That's mindset. It's all analytical left brain. When Brian said brain set, Research has demonstrated at the Max Planck Institute in Leipzig, Germany in 2008 that 95% of everything that you do, I do, all of us do is all um, determined by the reptilian part of the brain, which is where it's the part of the brain where habits are housed. So what we do is we create habits through repetition, and then we create neural pathways in the brain, and the habit just then the behavior becomes a habit because we do it over and over and over again. So wherever your air quote stuck in life, it's simply a habit. You need to recondition the brain mm -hmm. and the reptilian part of the brain to recondition the habits because everything that we do and everything that we think, at least 95% is research proven. Max Planck Institute, one of the foremost research institute, uh, institutions in the world, has clearly proven that we operate on brain-based autopilot. And then whatever you do, let me give them one more example here, Brian. You ever driven across San Diego before? Yep. One part of town to another. Uh -huh. You ever been in your mind when you're driving, like, I got to get the speeding. I got to say this. I got to say that. I hope I cover all these things, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. And you get there and you're like, I don't even remember driving here. <laughs> yeah. Right? I actually was, I was yeah, listening to a podcast place. episode of you talking about that and I missed my exit when you were talking about it. And I was like, wow, son of a bitch, it happened. <laughs> There you, there you go. Exactly. It's brain-based. It's brain-based. And so every one of you, I hope you're getting, we're being a little repetitive. I hope you're getting that what you're not getting in life and wanting, it's not your fault. It's not because you don't want it. It's not because you don't desire it. It's because you're not working with your mind and your brain and the way that they're designed to work with to get the outcomes that you want. Yeah, this is so good. And it just really does uproot a lot of the understandings that we have. But something that you mentioned that kind of is a great segue and kind of an elaboration on where you were just going to was the idea of reconditioning the brain. So if we're in a certain kind of identity or set of habits or something like that, we have an opportunity to change that. And that's what reconditioning the brain is, is it's kind of changing what those baseline habits are. So now you attract or create different realities, external environments um, in your life. And something that changed your life and now it's changed mine. It's six words that your brother-in-law told you, which is you are where your attention is. And basically that is the key to this reconditioning process, or at least that's what I understand it to be. But could you elaborate on kind of the role that attention plays and how that interfaces with the subconscious and, and how that's the opportunity and key to our progress? You got what I wish everyone would get when they work with me or hear, you know, hear me or whatever they're wanting to learn and grow is the, the thing about us human beings is because we do work on autopilot is I can say something 84,000 times and the 85th thousand time that I say it, the person's like, Oh, I get it. So when I say, which is what I was taught from my brother-in-law many years ago, 
And it's profoundly life-changing when you really come to not just understand it, but to know it. You are where your attention is. So where most of us spend our attention, and this is habitual, by the way, in identity. I don't have any money. I'm broke. I can't pay my car payment. I can't pay this. I can't pay that. I can't go on a date. can't pay my visa bill. can't pay my student loan. I'm broke. I'm broke. I'm broke. Well, look where your attention is. And where your attention is, is where you are. Mm. But this is why it's vital that we learn to master our attention. And the truth here is this. We live in a world where it's vital that we learn to manage our attention, but we live in a world that is constantly competing for our attention. Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, the news, CNN, Fox, whatever it is you watch or your world around you is constantly competing for your attention. And then we're like frazzled. I mean, we go out in the world, the world grabs you by the collar, takes you and just takes you away from the second you wake up till the second you go to bed every day. We have to slow down and recognize, Brian, that we are where our attention is. And if my attention is on I'm sick or money's hard or whatever it might be for someone or the reverse of that, I stay healthy all the time and money's easy to attract. Wherever we keep our attention is we have the external experience that corresponds to that. And we have to get in the habit of keeping our attention in a place to create the outcomes that we want. Well, and that's, no, that's, that's so good. And and that's exactly why this attention piece is so important is because while we're talking a lot about the subconscious, your attention has a lot of conscious control. And like you have so much choice in terms of the way that you try to perceive things, your perspective, even gratitude. You know, why do people gratitude journal? Because that is you intentionally selecting your attention on something positive so that your subconscious can then reap that in your life and then produce more of it and just kind of work in that kind of um, that communication process between the unconscious and the and the conscious. It's so I mean that and that's cool with attention is like you can focus your attention. And that's why you are where your attention is. Our opportunity is let's decide where that attention is. Let's choose where we want to keep our attention. Do we we choose to keep our attention on CNN mm. or a Fox or pro Trump or anti Trump or this movement or that movement or I'm so fat I'm so fat I'm so fat. I'm never going to be healthy. I'm never going to be trim. Nothing works for me. Oh my gosh, money's so hard to make. Coronavirus. Now, guys, what I'm not saying is there there the all these things are many of these things are happening in the world. But but here's here's the key. And Brian has it. Here's the key. Where do I choose to place my attention and to what degree do I place my attention there? That will make all the difference. So let's concretize this and make it about money. I guarantee you 1,000%. Look at where your thinking was all day long about money. And then I want you to log on to your bank account when you're done. And I guarantee you, your bank account is going to correspond to what your thoughts were about money today. Many years ago, my thoughts always used to be is I don't want to even check my bank account because I don't have any money in it because I'm broke and then how I'm going to pay it. And I'm going to wait more tables and blah, blah, blah. And I can't pay my bills and all this kind of stuff. Now, this day and age, my attention is, you know what? I attract multiple millions of dollars per year in income, and I impact a lot of people. And when I look at my bank account, I'm going to see seven figures Mm -hmm. in it. That's where my attention is. So I know this can be a little nebulous for all of you listening, but where your attention is, you will have the external display of that in your external world. Mm -hmm. 
And some of those tactics, again, they can be part of your routine tactics. So your affirmations, your journaling, um, you know, prioritizing relationships with your family, like those are all evidence of the choices you're making that that informs your subconscious that that's priority. So then it sees more of that in your conscious mind, you know, so there's a feedback loop here. And it's really what you choose to feed it with, you know, a book that you recommend that I've been reading, um, which is the power of the unconscious mind, or I believe subconscious mind. Yeah. is it talks about the difference between the subjective and the objective mind, your objective being the subconscious, right? Because it just literally produces whatever you feed it with. And that's our attention. Our attention is what we feed it with. And it just, it's creating, like it's a seed Correct. and it just grows from that seed. It's, it's really fascinating. Here's the thing is any time, and this is something that we never, even though this happens unconsciously, we're always aware of it. So, for example, let me back up here. If somebody bites their fingernails, it happens unconsciously. Nobody ever says, you know what? It is uh, 3.36 p.m. Central Standard Time, time to bite my nails. They don't do that. It just happens unconsciously. However, the way to be aware of where your attention is, and every one of you, please, because I want the best for you, slow down and listen to this. Any time you are feeling bad, Let's keep it simple. Anytime you're feeling bad, your attention's in the wrong place and you're miscreating. So I can't pay my bills. Oh my God, I feel like crap. And that means X, Y, Z about me. And I'm such a loser. And how am I going to pay my bills? And I have to ask my parents or I'm going to ask my girlfriend or my boyfriend, X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah about me. I feel bad. All right, let me go back. Anytime you feel bad, your attention is in the wrong place and you're miscreating. Mm. Now, Brian, look at somebody that's lost their job, and there's a lot of that with corona right now. Okay, so what a lot of people get into is what I call, and it's going to make some people mad, but a lot of people get into victim mentality. I lost my job, therefore I can't pay my rent, I can't pay this, I can't pay that. I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to stew in it, and how bad the world is, and oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, how bad the world is. What if I moved my attention and recognized there's still a lot of people making a lot of money now? What does that do for my emotional state? What state am I in when my attention is on the negativity and I'm feeling bad versus when my attention is on something positive and constructive and possibility as opposed to resignation? Mm. That's the power of moving your attention because when you move your attention, and that's the phrase that I use, anytime I find myself in a counterproductive place, I literally say to myself, move your attention. And when I move my attention, I move my thinking. When I move my thinking, I move how I feel. When I move how I feel, then I can do whatever I want. That makes sense, right? The process. Oh yeah, no, it, it makes perfect sense. And and then when it comes to okay, so if it's you know if if it's natural to focus on the negatives, what kind of things can we do to focus on the positives? And that's where you need to have some of these resources, tools, and kind of tactics to be able to like refocus you and get you on track. And, and your favorite tactic that I've been meditating to at night is who would I be? What would I do? And how would I feel if mm. I already had or if I had already accomplished blank? And that's because you know projecting yeah. that future state is something that informs your subconscious. It does not know time. It does not know the difference of imagined or real. And now you are kind of telling it how to feel. And it's like, oh, this is something I prioritize. And then it creates that in your external. Did, did I get that right? And was, was that a, an appropriate example from what you were talking about before? 100% correct. And one little caveat that you didn't mention there, which goes into probably what you want to talk about next, or you talked about earlier, is when we keep our attention on you know, who would I be? How would I feel? And what would I do if I had X, Y, Z? We are literally reprogramming not only the subconscious mind, but conditioning the brain to create those outcomes. Mm. 
because the brain does not know the difference between real and imagined. And the more you keep your attention on, even though it's imaginary, you keep it in a place of what you want to create, you are literally, through repetition, reconditioning the reptilian part of the brain for the outcomes that you want in life. Mm. It's so good. And honestly, like, you know, because there's so many conversations around like, okay, like change your mindset, you know, have some perspective, you like have the control of all this, but like, this is the mechanism of it being like, okay, like those things that need to be uprooted, they're happening on the subconscious level. Now let's think about the language of the subconscious. And these are the things that we can do. So it just, to me, it is kind of esoteric because it's very complicated, very complex, but at the same time, it is that proof in the pudding that like here is your your way to kind of creating some of those things. Hang on, Brian. Hang on, Brian. Hang on, Brian. Let's make it really simple. Let's make it really simple for everyone listening. Albert Einstein said, "Your imagination is your preview of life's coming attractions." Now, hmm. wherever you have your attention is your imagination because you're imagining something, which are engaging the right hand side of the brain. So, every one of you listening. What do you imagine? And see, here's what we tend to do. Everyone listening, I've been there before. What we tend to do is dismiss all of this as, oh, that's too simple, or that's hocus pocus, woo woo, blah, blah, psychobabble, blah, blah, blah. And Jim, you're full of crap, (laughs) but you know what? I'm going to go back to my $12 an hour job, but Jim, you're full of crap. It's literally that simple. It's brain-based. It's science. It's neuroscience. So, Whatever you imagine all day long is where your attention is. And what you imagine is what you program yourself with. And what you program yourself with is the outcomes that you get. Plain and simple. Yeah, but let's let's change the label on that because you're talking about imagination. Something that's more accepted and something that sounds more productive is visualization. Correct. And it's, it's essentially the same process, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's just labeled differently. And now it's being accepted as, okay, I, I see the result of this. I see the value in this. And that's just like such a simple switch that we can make in terms of our own representation of these ideas so that we can incorporate them with confidence. Hang on, Brian. You know, so like I'm going to interrupt you again. I don't mean to, but yeah. do you know why you chose the word visualization and why you like it? Yeah. So for myself, it's my background in sports. You know, sports visualization was nope. something I've learned. No, nope, that's not it. Okay. Tell me why. Because you're predominantly visual. When people actually, we process information um, through the five senses, we're predominantly auditory, visual, or kinesthetic. Listen to my voice tone. I've, sp- I've sped up and I'm speeding up as I'm talking to you. And if you listen to your voice tone, you are without a doubt, no question about it, predominantly visual. People that are predominantly visual, which I'm moving really fast right now, I'm going to slow down <laughs> and move more moderate, which is predominantly auditory. Mm. And then people that are kinesthetic, they actually are a lot slower in their voice pace. Now, let me share why I'm bringing this up is you said, well, we can actually translate or use the word visualization, but not the entire population is predominantly visual like you are. Interesting. Like for you, I can ask you and I can say to you, I want you to visualize something. Let me draw some pictures in your mind. Boom, you have it. Hmm. But you know what? Something along the lines of 40% of the population are not predominantly visual. So when I ask them to visualize something, they have a hard time visualizing. That's why the word imagination does work better because it's a generic catch-all for all three, auditory, visual, and kinesthetic. And when I said, just imagine, like for example, if I told you just imagine that you could hear one of the Beatles songs. If you're not predominantly auditory, someone that's predominantly auditory will automatically go into an auditory loop and they can hear Let It Be or Jude, Hey Jude or whatever. And it's easier for them than you because they're predominantly auditory. (laughs) <laughs> so everyone listening, uh, I want I want to just add there is that the word vi- visualization is great, but not everyone can visualize well. 
So that's why I do use the word imagine. I, I appreciate the correction and I will never question you again. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome to please question me. That's how I learned too, but let's keep on going. But anyway, I wanted to share that all of you listening, uh, Brian is definitely predominantly, predominantly visual. So also use your imagination. Okay. Yeah, no, great, great clarification. And, and yes, you're right. That's spot on. I am such a visual learner. It's absurd. So maybe that's why I speak yep. so fast is because that's just how my brain works. Anyway. Well, no. Hang on, hang on. Just so people understand the reason that people that are predominantly visual and I'm speeding up talking to Brian speak so fast is because the mind moves at 2000 like pictures a minute, but the mouth can only move at 700 words a minute, a minute at its fastest. So people that are predominantly visual, like Brian, they speak very fast because what's happening is his mind has got like this movie reel moving frame by frame by frame by frame <laughs> by frame by frame in front of him. And his mouth is trying to keep up with his mind. And that's why, because the mind is moving faster, predominantly visual in the imagery, the mind is trying to keep up. So you were on track. You are correct. Uh, I get that feedback all the time. They're like, man, your brain is working faster than your mouth. And I'm like, yeah, I thought I'm doing my best. <laughs> so yeah. So predominantly, yeah. You're, you saw right through you're it. Predominantly visual. Perfect. Okay. What's next? Cool. Yeah. No, let's wrap up on something that was, I mean, all of this is kind of just mind blowing for me and just learning more about it is so fascinating, but this was kind of the biggest shock to me, just like a really punchy kind of uh, lesson which is kind of how your identity is associated with your being. You know, you talk about doing and being, and and that's kind of the difference between like the the subconscious identity versus the behaviors that you're doing. And your coach, Dr. Lori Emery, has a beautiful quote, which was just just like so opened my eyes. Which is, and I'm going to say it slow because it requires it. Your doing is only as effective as your being doing the doing right? Your doing is only as effective as your being doing the doing, which is us coming back to that identity state and how your being is running the show. It's everything. And I mean, when it comes to your state of being, you know, how does that tie into this puzzle of everything that we're aspiring for and doing and struggling with? Let me go back here to what uh, Lori taught me. She was my transformational coach um, quite some time back. She's not doing transformation work right now. A phenomenal, phenomenal transformation coach. And the phrase again is you're doing is only as effective as you're being doing the doing. Let's concretize that for people, Brian. Okay, so I'm going to go do something to lose weight. I'm going to go to the gym. I am doing something. Now, who is the being doing the doing? Well, the being is I don't want to go to the gym. I can't stick to anything. I don't want to do this. Well, notice how your being, which is the way that you're thinking, which comes from characteristics and ways of being, which are your identity. So that's preceding mm. the doing. So let me give people a concretized example again so they can see themselves. My father was an alcoholic, and um, I learned from my father not to be an alcoholic, but I learned ways of being, which we all learn as kids, two, three, four, five years old, up until about the age of eight, we learn how to be. That's why if your parents are Catholic, you're probably Catholic. If your parents are Jewish, you're probably Jewish. If your parents are Republican, you're probably Republican. Notice I use the words probably, not guaranteed, but probably. If your parents were wealthy, you're probably wealthy. If your parents were poor, you're probably poor. We learn the behaviors through observation of small kids. Now, my dad being an alcoholic really was horrible. I mean, horrible at commitment, meaning he couldn't start a project and ever finish a project. 
um, everything from home renovation to cleaning out the garage to renovating a car, everything in life. So as a small kid, I learned by watching my dad, it's okay to start something and not finish it. Now, that would be a way of being. Mm. Now, let's say that I want to go do something. I want to go do something that's going to require commitment. Like I'm going to build, I'm just making this up, uh, Brian, just making something. I'm going to go build um, um, a widget and a big one. And it's, it's going to take some work. So I'm all excited and I start building this big old widget in the backyard. But subconsciously, I learned that it's not important to stay committed because I learned it from my father. So that's my way of being. And I bring my being into the doing. Mm. The doing is building the widget. But the being is destroying the doing, meaning, you know what, 10 days later, you know, two days later, I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. Why did I start this? I'm going to quit this. This is why so many people start so many things with good intentions, ways of doing, and they don't finish because at the identity level, they're not being the characteristics and ways they need to be to do what they need to do to create the outcome. That makes sense, right? Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, it's so refreshing to hear because it explains a lot of the issues people have. It's like, oh, why am I this way? It's well, because you are this way. And I think that's an important point too, is, you know, we're born as babies and their first seven, eight years, we're just like exposed to all of these different stimulus that really informs us and in how we interact with the world. And those are deep rooted habits and ways of being. And that's kind of when we go back to earlier in the conversation with the way to shift that and transform that subconscious that's how you step through some of those limiting factors that have been your script for so long. So, I mean, I think that's a perfect way of wrapping it all together. Um, but I, I do want to take one more opportunity, um, something I do at the end of the podcast. And this one's going to be really tough because you've gone through so much. Okay. But if, if there was one highlight that we could share right now that encompasses the primary thought or component of our conversation, or just one thing that you want the audience to take with them that the one thing that they learned from this, you know, concisely, what is that thought or what is that thing that people need to know? I know you want it to one, but let me give a couple of simple ones and I'll, uh, we'll see if we can tie them together. I'll take more. I don't even know because I mean, I'm just going to spit these out. They're working with a shaman for as many years as I have. And, and I've learned you are where your attention is. And that even applies to my work in shamanism. There are things that I'm learning in terms of consciousness and, and my mental abilities that if I practice it and I stay with it, uh, which is where my attention is, I get the outcomes and I get the results. So everyone listening, if you could say, okay, what are some major takeaways that if I, if I dig into these and I come to know these, there's a difference between knowing and understanding. I'm sure you've heard me say before, Brian, mm -hmm. you can understand what a broken arm is, but until you've had a broken arm, you don't know what a broken arm is. To know it is to have the pain, to understand it is, oh, I understand you've got a crack in the bone in your arm or something worse. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when we come to know that we are where our attention is, you nailed it. Your voice tone changed when you talked about it. That is power. That is massive life power for ourselves. When we come to understand we are where our attention is. And I guarantee every one of you listening, I guarantee it, 10,000%. If you're not where you want to be in life, all that I want you to do is go look in the mirror. Because guess what? Where you are is a reflection of where your attention is. James Allen wrote a book back in the 1870s, 80s, something like that, called As a Man Thinketh. And there's a quote in the book, mind is the master power that molds and makes, man is mind and evermore he takes. He thinks in secret and it comes to pass that his environment is just his looking glass. Let me go a little further. People will say, Jim, okay, I get all this, but if all of my beliefs are subconscious, then how do I know what they are? That's easy. 
Just look at your external world because your external world is a reflection of your internal world. Your mm -hmm. external world is your identity objectified. Everyone listen to that. Your external world is your identity objectified. So what people try to do, which we've talked about, is they try to change the external world by changing their doing, but their doing is driven by the identity. And if you don't have the characteristics and ways of being to even change the identity, the external world's never going to change. This is why people try forever and ever and ever to change and fall back into their old patterns. Mm. So that's what I, I keep it simple and say, you are where your attention is. I don't know how you did it, but yes, that incorporated everything in one. That's so fantastic. Jim, you are an absolute expert. You have changed my life. You're changing lives across the board. And hopefully there is an opportunity for us to introduce this to more people to create a collective consciousness so we can do more good in the world. But for now, I, I appreciate mm -hmm. your time and, and thank you so much for sharing everything that you've come to know throughout your life. Brian, I've enjoyed my my time with you. Not just the conversation, but your presence. You've got a very you got a good heart, and you want to serve. And I've enjoyed that time with you as well. So thank you for inviting me, and let me know how I can be of service. Now that is a lot to process, Jim Fortin. There is no surprise why he's a leading subconscious transformation coach to some of the biggest leaders in business. It was unbelievable getting a glimpse into his expertise. We started the conversation talking about identity and how we need to make adjustments at the level of our belief system, not our behavior, if we want to introduce sustainable change in our lives. We then spoke a bit about the language of the subconscious and how it does not discern, it just produces. This means that we need to feed it with the right inputs, meaning that we can control our attention to introduce the elements we want in our life. Then we also talked about the difference between doing and being, which relates nicely to the first point about creating change at the level of identity, because your doing is only as effective as your being doing the doing. Jim is very generous with the different ways he shares his message. His podcast dives into way more detail. I suggest you listen to it. It's called the Jim Fortin Podcast. And he has affordable programs and masterclasses available on his website, www.jimfortin.com. And I encourage you to listen to this episode again so that you don't miss anything. It's dense, but when it unfolds, it is profound. Your commitment to yourself and your growth is commendable. I applaud you. Please let me know if there's anything I can do to support you on your journey. You can follow and send me a message on Instagram at self.improvement.daily. Until tomorrow, thanks so much for listening to Self-Improvement Daily.